Hello, beloved listeners. Um, Next in our election prep series is a replay of an interview that we did with Toshi Regan, where she gives one of the clearest explanations of the purpose of voting in these times. And we wanted you to get a chance to dive into all of Toshi's brilliance, but particularly this piece. If you're having a hard time with going through the motion of voting, if you have people in your life who are having a struggle with actually doing what needs to be done in this election cycle, this is the episode to listen to. Enjoy. We love you. And we'll see you on the other side. I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a theologian, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living in rural Minnesota. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown, author of Emergent Strategy, co-editor of Octavius Brood, writer, facilitator of Black liberation work, auntie extraordinaire, doula, and pleasure activist living in Detroit. And this is How to Survive the End of the World. And right now, we're listening to an original song from the Parable of the Sower opera. Um, We cannot believe it. We're super excited. The opera is so amazing. This is amazing. The opera is masterminded by Toshi Reagan, a hero of ours, um, who was born into a movement and movement song family, the daughter of Bernice Johnson Reagan of Sweet Honey and the Rock. They spent their entire life singing and fighting for justice. And now Toshi has been making her own music for decades, and we are super excited to talk with her today about this new project. Well, old project. You'll hear about it. The Parable of the Sower Opera.
We are here today for a very, very special, special edition of How to Survive the End of the World. And to kind of put us in the right frame of mind, I want to read this these words from Octavia because I think this is what we're up to and this is what this whole episode is going to be about. So it goes like this. A gathering of earth seed is a good and necessary thing. It vents emotion, then quiets the mind. It focuses attention, strengthens purpose, and unifies people. And we are here today, Autumn and I are joined today by basically one of the great spreaders of earth seed, um, Toshi Reagan. Fireworks are going off, sparklers are, sparklers are coming off. out of our fingertips. Glitter, there's Uloy clapping. So, um, Toshi, it is a huge honor for us that you are joining us for this podcast, which is really done in a sort of love note to Octavia. Um, and we both feel a lot of love for you. And Right now, we're recording this in the heart of your New York uh, premiere of the opera. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we're right in the middle of it. The first time I learned of your work, I became a fan of you just as a singer in your own right, like outside of your mom, outside of the parables, outside of anything else. Um, and so I'd love if you want to share with people a little bit about like what were you doing before this project became such a, a core project of your life? Like... Um, as a musician, as an artist, kind of what led you to being like, I think an opera is something I need to do with my life. Um, I've always done multiple things. I mean, I've, I've never been, it just needs to be um, music, you know. Um, my mom raised me to be a producer. Like when I was 13, it was like, I want to be a singer. My mom's like, learn how to be a producer. Ooh. And stay away from drugs because she was like, you won't have to wait for somebody to tell you what you want to do is is um, viable and, and wait for people to produce you. Uh -huh. And she said, if you um, get too involved with drugs, you it will be the most important thing in your life and your work uh -huh. will will be secondary. Um, mm. And so she also told me that I would have no failures as long as I, I did my art. Um, and she told me that when I was young. Um, and, oh, she told me this other thing that was really important, which was yeah. no one could measure the value of my work. It was not measurable mm. by oh, any wow. vision of a human. Like, it just, just wasn't possible. So that I just needed to do it and not worry. Uh, so those things really yeah. made me have a wide idea about what my possibilities were. And yeah. right away, I interned with um, a women's production company called Roadwork in DC. And they booked um, women artists and they produced concerts. And I was the like, from like 14 to 16, a like geeky kid that was running around and doing errands. And, and then when I was 17, I produced my first concert. And, you know, I started wow. producing my records and yep. I met June Millington who um, basically would, would send me little cassettes of all of the producing and songwriting she was doing so I could learn. And later on, wow. when I got like a big fat record deal, I met Nona Hendrix, who took mm -hmm. me under her wing to this day, is like another mom. So yeah. I just, I've always felt like I could do anything. 
and I didn't have to do what other people were doing. I didn't have to fit. And then, you know, let's face it, I didn't fit in any box that existed right. when I first was working. There was just was not like, you know, your big yeah. ball headed um, black dyke box for music. <laughs> and There's no um, box with that label on it. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm still not, really. you know, it's a thrill right now. Like I just see so many people, um, you know, who uh, it's amazing what the music world is now. And you yeah. see so many people who just refuse straight out. Like, they just don't even try it. They're just like, I'm not even going to try to fit in this category. Um, so I, I don't know. I've just been really blessed and really lucky to have community and my mom. And so I've played, you know, multiple instruments. I produce myself. Recording-wise, I produce other people. I yeah. produce, I have a festival. Um, I wake up in the morning and usually write a song no matter what's going on. Um, I'm really that's a great daily practice <laughs> yeah it is it Genius. just they just jump me and say we need to be written um yeah. I just that's do a whole sad. bunch of things and of course I love um being on stage and singing in a room full of people like yeah. probably the most that's beautiful that's incredible I mean there's okay there's I mean you're, you have an incredible life um and just a lot of love in it um so so inside of this, so you have this incredible life, you know that you can do anything you want to set your mind to, you know that you can work as a producer, um, that you're putting on shows, you're putting on concerts. And then at a certain point, you and your mother, um, right, sat down and said, we're going to do the parables. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like, what was the journey of the actual parables opera from I, the inception of that idea to reaching out to Octavia to actually beginning to to do something and and like why why did it need to be an opera mm -hmm. um you know we we sing everything um so that's the number one reason why it had to be an opera is <laughs> um, we we sing everything and you know we're not very good or at least i'm not very good at like you know writing dialogue and have people stand on the stage and talk to each other i'm amazed by people who can do that but, um, you know, <laughs> I can create, you know, uh, a way to do it through through singing text. And um, and we also, my mother um, had all of her, her work has always been like this. Like before, um, when we came to D.C., she was a music director for D.C. Black Repertory Company. Okay. And she had two pieces. One was called Upon This Rock and the other was called A Day a life of people and they were um acapella and sung all the way through they were amazing yeah. um mm. so later on um she collaborated with uh, the director robert wilson with the temptation of saint anthony um an opera based on the temptation of oh, saint anthony yes. and then i was the musical director and i wrote all the instrumental arrangements for that and then we did another piece with him um uh, Zinnia's The Life of Clementine Hunter. So mm -hmm. this just started us on our way um, of knowing like that that this was going to be the way we would we would do uh, a lot of our collaborations. And Parable, through all of that, um, you know, I would say Parable's been around us since about like 98. And, and then around 2008, um, we had an opportunity to uh, present it at the New York City Opera with um, the late 
um, Gerard Mortier, who was going to be mm. the artistic director. And then New York City Opera just started to implode and that season got wiped out. And they got, oh. like, we only got to do, like, basically a workshop for two or three weeks. It was beautiful, though. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people in that workshop um, are are in the cast today. So we didn't waste time, but it, it was, you know, it was like, oh, okay, that's not going to work out now. And then I told my mom I would get it done, but I didn't really know how. <laughs> she retired yeah. in 2014. And so she was like, okay, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I trust that you will take the lessons forward and get it done. <laughs> yes, she did. Yeah, she did. Great. Boundaries matter. Well, and can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, how you found your cast, your team, like, you know, and, and I'm imagining that there's been some rotation of players over the course of time that this that this has been developed even since the workshop. But can you talk a little bit about how you were able to identify the people who needed to be a part of this? Yeah, I mean, you know, really it's the root of the cast is is the community of uh, a community of artists that I already know. And like I said, a lot who who were in that initial workshop, but even from that initial workshop, they were people that, you know, I already knew, like we had already been working with. And then, you know, the family has just grown and grown over the years. And, um, you know, we call it the parable family. And so once you're in, we don't let you go. So even if if you're, yeah, even if you're not um, in the cast on stage for whatever reason, you know, um, people get other gigs and they can't do something or we bring someone else in. And then sometimes we have to hold an audition and we find somebody else like whatever it takes but we keep expanding the community of people because we are like in real time with yeah you know the teachings of the story so it mm. it's you know yes it is a, a you know a theatrical company with you know the, the all of the things that you need to set up and sustain that system but um but you know, it, it's people and um, and it's a really I mean, like people come around us and they're like, you guys are so nice. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, you take care of each other. And it really is like that. Like, but we don't we don't really know how to do this story and not actually be people in the story. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So um, that's kept us really together because our um urgency and putting it on the stage also meant that um you know we didn't we didn't do like years of rehearsal and years of workshopping and years of of fundraising um you know it was like no it's 2017 we have to do it now um so i insisted like in 2015 um that it had to debut in 2017 one of the other questions we wanted to ask you, Toshi, is a bit about, you know, um, as a part of this podcast, we've spent some time talking about our creative practices and, and talking about the um, the work of imagining, the work of imagination as part of like, a, it's like a mm-hmm. revolutionary undertaking. 
um, that, you know, this idea that we're in an imagination battle and that we're kind of existing in a context that was like imagined by someone else and that we have to imagine our way out of it. Um, and, um, so we've done some time talking about our creative practices. We were wondering if you could talk a little bit about your creative practices and in that, in the context of parables, like how has the scale and length of a project of working on a project like this impact you as an artist? How does it impact your creative practice? Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's doing many things at once. I mean, one is, you know, um, being, being close to a parable and reading it and reading it so many times. Um, I mean, I've read it so many times over the years, but now probably in the last year or two, I've just, it's always with me. And, um, and I think it, you know, it's taken on this, uh, like I, I start talking, you know, like I'm in the book sometimes <laughs> and I can't, mm. you know, and I'm always saying, you know, what can we shape? Like, what can we shape in this situation? Like, the, the, yeah. you know, I'll be like, do we have to do this? Like, what could we shape something else? And people kind of look at me like, what? Oh. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> um, we experience this too, Toshi. <laughs> yes. And um I think I think it also it definitely has made me think really, really, really more forward. Um, as the older I get, you know, being with the project. Um, you know, the older I get, the more I see myself as being of service um uh-huh. to people younger than me and to my the the dreams of my elders and my ancestors um and mm. the closer i get to being an elder and you know eventually an ancestor as we all must be um mm-hmm. the the more i kind of have found this really wonderful divine space for myself where i really um am seeing these people uh come through who are so, you know, on that Lauren trajectory, whether they know yes. about parable or not. I mean, so many of my young friends um, are are already in a determination about life and about their past. Mm. And I mean, little people like I meet who are like eight and nine and 10 yeah. say things to me that let me know that they have come here to do something um, yes. and be somebody and um, and even when they play they play really well you know so yes, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they see so many things and they're taking it in and um, and you know you gather yourself to protect them not to keep them from seeing things but to to make sure that they're being a thousand percent supported while while they're willing to see things and um mm. and, and so parables really um also strikes this kind of uh era of innovation in 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 black song for me um yeah so much of you know when we were writing it um i was looking at lauren's dad and i kind of was like lauren's dad is a little younger than me now um and he's a baptist wow. preacher and so my mother um my mother's father, my granddad was a Baptist preacher. And, um, you know, and I just tried to imagine his trajectory to 
you know, all preachers, whether they sing well or not sing, kind of have a song in their voice. And I tried to yep. imagine his trajectory towards, you know, his his voice, his singing voice and and how he would use music to, you know, have a sermon or hold his community and what yeah. what you know, what Lauren might grow up with um, hearing yeah. and learning. Yeah. Um, some of the scriptures that Octavia has in the book and then. Um, so that's where this old music um, from the 19th, 19th century, uh, some of these spirits and sacred songs come out of in the in the play because we want we want you to know that as far in the future as um, Lauren is looking, somebody from the 19th century looked as far at us. And so yes. I don't know if that yeah. made sense what I just said. Yes, it, it does. does. It does. It yes. Does. So, so we were the spectacular future of our ancestors. Us, yes, being where we are. Um, us holding the space that we hold, and you and I kind of see this music um, still holding a community together. And the conversation yeah. between Lauren and her father is Lauren saying, "Okay, you know, thanks for giving us that, but it's actually not going to work." this time mm, and you know this time no yeah. and like i'm gonna hold it i can i know what it is i can hold it you know look i even went and got baptized because i love you you know yes. but but we need actually something else yeah i love that and i love that there's practices in it right it's like coming together yes like praying together being together yes working together caring for each other yes but what we're moving towards has to be different. Yeah, and bigger and wider. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, every time there's a revolution, if you look, you know, each generation takes off a level of normalcy, you know? Like mm -hmm. each generation decides to do away with something. So, you know, yes. like if you look at my, my grandparents um, um, in, in Georgia, um, my grandfather went, uh, had sixth grade education. My grandmother had eighth grade education and they are people who bought land, built a house on the land, had eight kids, grew food, had their animals, got every single one of their kids um, an opportunity to go to college if they wanted to. Um, my grandmother washed, washed clothes for somebody and they negotiated that system to where that land is still in our family today. And, mm -hmm. um, and so they, they navigated, you know, through racism, through segregation, you know, this is a, my mother was born in the forties. So you got to think about them being like yeah. in the thirties and then, um, getting to these points. And then my mother, um, was a part of the civil rights movement. And so she was like, I'm actually not gonna navigate within this particular system. I'm not actually right. going to learn how to do segregation. Like I'm not going to absorb that part. We're gonna remove right. that. We're gonna get rid right. of that. And so we're yeah. gonna operate in another place. And then when you get to the eighties, you know, you have like another evolution. Well, this is great that we're going to look at racism and look at segregation and look at these things, but we must we must have equality for women and we must look at, you know, lesbians, gays in the seventies. And then that category, it gets, I mean, it's, gets limitless now. 
in the 21st century. Mm. So every generation takes something away that we don't need anymore and increases the space and the circle and the opportunity of what we're going to talk about and how we're going to do it. And it makes it, um, it makes it, 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 you can feel it, you know, hitting the wall of what was there before and the wall yes. of resistance of what is there before. Like how many conversations I have around, you know, some of my friends around um, why you can say they, <laughs> that, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> you know why, why do we want to say they? And I was like, I don't know why everybody changed to get African names in the sixties. Like we didn't have a problem with that. Like, so, right, exactly. You know, like <laughs> let's just let's remember. Just, yeah, you know, an innovation of language. Like we've been doing this forever. Like we're black. We should be the first ones going. They, they, they. You know. Right. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> you know, every generation pushes against the wall that thinks it may have gotten to a certain point that we can live in. And the next gen- generation comes along and says, we can't live here. Right. And it's like, it's like, it's like the, it's almost the responsibility of each new generation to see the wall that the other generation can't even see, you know, that, exactly. and it's interesting thinking about that in relationship to parables where like how Lauren sees the wall and how her dad sees the wall are very different. Like he sees it as protection and she sees it as this like false boundary, right? That like mm-hmm. this false container that's like not actually going to assist or support us. No. Hello, old friend. Have you heard the news today? The whole world's gone crazy, except for us. Now we want to take a moment just to listen to another song from the opera because we can. This one is called As I Open My Eyes to See. Hello, old friend. Have you heard the news today? The whole world's gone crazy. Zillions of people moving on the roads trying to find their way. As we gather our hearts and eyes to see. What's on the road coming up ahead of us? What's on the road coming up from behind? Yes, it's true. We got proof. We even got solutions, laws, and constitutions. Lines on the highway. Something's on the road. 
think that it's so it's so prescient it makes so much sense for this moment where there are still people who are like we need to save what is and we need to build walls around what is I mean our country is I mean really right now we have a president who just called other countries shitholes yesterday (laughs) you know like we're in this moment of this oh we got to protect and save what is and then so many people being like we need to be boundless boundaryless boundless like we need to be able to move beyond that and that destiny of taking taking root amongst the stars um begins to feel like oh right <laughs> like that it makes sense even for us for right now yeah. um and um oh you're so brilliant toshi i just want you to know that like autumn and i are sitting here doing this the symbol of like you're blowing my mind <laughs> Yeah, we're silently like, like, like shaking like, our fists wow. and, and wag, <laughs> just having like silent church over here. Like, <laughs> um, just so you know, the nonverbal communication is all affirmation over here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, I have another question. Then I think um, I think we should wrap up because we could go on forever and ever, literally. Um, so <laughs> uh, you talked a little bit about this, like you feel like your your call right now is to be of service, and that you really want to be in right relationship with your ancestors. And so I want to talk a little bit now, circling back into Octavia and your relationship with her now, mm-hmm. um, as you're doing this work, as you are, you know, on the stage. Um, performing this show and being with others performing this show do you feel Octavia with you uh, like on a on a spiritual level or, or however you might describe it like do you feel her moving through you um, what is your relationship to her like in this moment well I mean from meeting her I would have to say I don't and not because she isn't there um, if she could be or she couldn't be I don't know she was not a mushy person, you know, and she didn't, Yeah. you know, she didn't extend out like an energetic field that would be familiar to most of us. You know, she, she yeah. didn't do the things that, you know, we all kind of see as somebody sharing energy or, you know, sharing light or, you know, when I'm around this yeah. person, I feel so, you know, open and available, you know, and that's not what she ever did with me. And I think she had a very, um, you know, close circle of, of people and, um, and that, and they can probably tell you more than I could ever. Um, but I think her work, um, her, her words on a page and her stories, um, and hearing her talk about, you know, talk, hearing how she thought about things 
is is really 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 with me i mean she just mm-hmm. like the thing i keep saying is about prediction like she was just like it's really easy like and i think we all make everything so complicated about looking forward and i think i never forget that that it's actually easy to say what's going to happen you know it's like you just start somewhere and you have enough uh, information you don't need a computer and you can you can really um you can really say like here's the future based on the now and i think that you know like the the last time i heard her speak um somebody asked her something about katrina and she was just like look this is not a surprise. Everybody knows blah, 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 blah. The government knows that this person knows. Everybody knows, you know. And so she she really was aware of, uh, you know, people also are like, she predicted this president. And I'm like, she predicted us. She predicted yes. us yes. letting this man yeah. be the president. She really understood humans and she really understood our inability to actually trust our instincts and make bold decisions when we had to and to stay on a path even if the path didn't reward us and Mm. you know nothing spells that out like our uh, elections you know we want to (laughs) be you know our votes are like you know it's like as if we think they're they're like money or pockets of gold that we give to the universe and therefore we hold them (laughs) in this you know unbelievably sacred place and it's a little bit like insane like i just am like what are we why are we dealing with this like this should be a very simple thing like yes Mm -hmm. you do vote for the lesser of two evils yes you do you know run for office at local levels instead of obsessing about the presidency every you know two and a half years yes you do work with people you don't like and you disagree with you have to and if you don't you get tyrants (laughs) with power to make huge decisions over your life so we we you know nothing says it like like more than that like you know you don't even have to agree on so many things you could just be we're not going to let somebody who's going to kill us you know run the country yeah and <laughs> just basic our, shit our desperateness shows when we see someone powerful like Oprah um you know deliver a speech <laughs> that you know, it was a great speech for a great moment to a, a really particular um, group of people trying to, you know, make some change in their industry and have it also affect other people and knowing the value of when someone goes on television and you're, you get to witness them from a faraway place, how it can give mm-hmm. you some hope, you know? And I know that because I remember seeing the Jackson 5 on TV and I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. You know, so I'm not, you know, all of us need to stop hating around the celebrities trying to be powerful thing. But, you know, to to be like, and now she's going to run for office. And then you just see today, if you go to any social media and you look at any articles, we're having the same kind of conversation. You know, well, Mm -hmm. she doesn't have my vote, you know, (laughs) and (laughs) people are posting today. Yeah. Pictures of her with (laughs) Donald Trump. And, you know, and we basically like we didn't learn anything from the last election. Like the last election shows you that it's not a joke and it's not a game and that we need to become um, almost business minded about how we're going to participate as citizens in electing leadership in this country. And that it is it is not something 
that needs to be media driven. It needs to be locally driven. It needs to be mm. driven by our indigenous thinking. And then it will lead you to, you know, a president that would be worth, you know, serving you. But you can't go Absolutely. top top down. And so, I, you know, I never that never leaves me because in the in the book, there are elections and there are, um, you know, government officials and there are all of the infrastructure that we have now is still in place. You know, so it's not right. like the whole world crumbled. It's that, a, right. a, you know, right. A huge part of it is just in the service of these very few horrible, horrendous systems that don't care if you yeah. live or you die and what your living is like. And so that is with me, you know, a thousand percent all the time. I just mm. every day am in that zone. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you so much, actually, because I feel like I remember during the election, you using all of your platforms in order to try to inject some reasoning into how people were looking at the election and inject some complexity that it's like you have to be able to hold. I mean, there's the simple, simple piece of just like we're living here now. We need to be able to do <laughs> the right actions in this moment, even as we move towards a larger vision. But there's also a level of complexity that the people need to be able to uh, see both now and long term. And to be, you know, keeping your eyes on like, there is a prize, but we have to be alive to get there. Um, so how do we, how do we take care of that immediate need? So I just want to thank you because I feel like you have been, you know, both as an artist, as a human being, as a parent, um, in all these different ways, continuously being one of those voices of reason, even as you do this massive magical work, um, that, that lifts our eyes towards something even larger than ourselves and something that connects us to to everyone else and then taking it global right away um just feels like it's such a brilliant move um yeah it was so yeah i just want to say like you know what is humbling to me is um when you i i consider myself a person of great wealth you know like i'm i live in a home and i have amazing community and friends and you know if something happens to you and you can pick up a phone and you know you could call like 20 people like you're wealthy yes. and mm -hmm. um, and you are, you know, you're in a really good place. And I think one of the things that, you know, a lot of us who are operating in that zone of having community, having shelter, having jobs, having money in a bank account, not, you know, not zillions of dollars, but like you can afford yeah. to eat tomorrow. Um, we can be leaders and we can carry the load of people who are doing other work. Um, as we're doing our progress, mm. like I, I was like everybody, you know, over 40 vote. And like, if the kids don't want to vote because they're doing something else that will be helpful for us, we should be able to carry them, not having a leader who will kill them while they try to do it. Yes. And, oh, you know, yeah, that yes. was one of the, the saddest, yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. that was one of the parts for me, like we just won't mm. get strategic with this. And not that anybody liked voting for whoever was there, but I am, but that you are going to use a strategy to ensure our forward moving. And if young people yeah. don't want to vote because they're like, we're actually tearing the system down. Yep. Then we should, we should cover them. You know, Flank. Yeah. we should cover them. Absolutely. And that is such deep wisdom, Toshi. That is such deep wisdom. Yeah. And I think this one more thing is about um, the current person in the White House. Um, mm -hmm. we all need to take a measure of what he said, 
but we need to take a measure of it. He talked about a continent of, of people and a country, and he talked about black people on the planet, but we all need to think about like how we are thinking about those places in the world and why yeah. they think that they actually can use those places as a testing ground for how far they can go with our country. Yeah. And all yeah. of us, um, you know, I only went to uh, to Africa for the first time last year. I went to South Africa. Oh, wow. I, I wow. went to Haiti um, many, many years, like in the 90s, um, which I've, mm-hmm. I've never forgotten. But we we all can like actually take some measure of what they're really saying. You know, this is about the obliteration mm-hmm. of black and brown people on the planet. And this is a mm-hmm. coordinated attack on us. And he is not the mm-hmm. only one in a leadership position with powerful mm-hmm. weapons thinking like this. And so as we like sit here on our outrage on social media and outrage and mm-hmm. listening to all of the people, again, strategically, what is going to be our uh, community move to reject a thousand percent? How are we going to ever make them pay for the things that they are saying about our people and for the intention that they have to destroy us? That is all mm. this is. All of those people yes. stood around him yes. and didn't say anything except for, yes. yep, that's how we feel. And that has just got to be the hugest, like, you know, call for the war that they're, act, you know, activating on us. And we should take it very yes. seriously. Everybody, if you post somebody, you need to make sure 2018 that people, those people see you somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think this is super I think this is super important, like just to, you know, put a fine point on it. It's like, I feel like you've said this before, but understanding when it is time for action, like when it is time to move out of the digital realm, like it's like, this is a great place to be doing conversation and deeping and analysis. But then at a certain point, we have to be willing to say, we stop participating in the system and we stop this from moving forward. And what does that actually look like? And I feel like there, to me, this is actually one of the great, exciting moments for why the parables are so relevant right now Mm -hmm. it's just like it's two steps from that you know we're two steps from that reality like it's it's not far and I think we have you know as long as we allow ourselves to operate as if it's far we won't take right action we won't Mm -hmm. feel the urgency Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's so much in place to keep us from feeling urgency um so I really appreciate the sort of clarion call inside of what you're saying of like now is the time to act. Last year was the time to act. Right. The year before that right. was the time to act. Yeah, um, parable and, of the talents. You know, parable of uh-huh. the talents. They say 2014, I think, mm-hmm. is the yep. 14 or 15, 14, right? That's when yep. we kind of let it go and said, well, yeah, <laughs> this is the way they yeah. think about us. So <laughs> yeah, all yeah. of our gathering right. and, and all of the work that we're doing really, really, really matters. And, and you two are awesome. I really appreciate um, talking to you. You are amazing. And we are so grateful that this, I feel like this conversation, I, I, you couldn't see me Toshi, but at multiple points I cried. Like I'm just, (laughs) I'm so (laughs) grateful for your wisdom. I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful that you took the time out of this weekend to speak to us. Mm -hmm. And we are just so every day inspired by what you're manifesting in the world and our work, you know, our work, our work is all, we're all touching each other right now. And that's, I think the feeling that we need to be in, right. That we need to feel ourselves, we, the energy of our work touching each other. So thank you so much for just your brilliance, just deep appreciation. 
and bows. We love you. Love you too. You guys have a great night. We want to deeply thank Toshi Reagan for joining us today. Um, we wanted you all to get a little taste of how incredible this opera is. If you want to learn more about it, find out ways to bring it to where you are, you can go to parableopera.com. There's a new world coming. Lauren. There's a new world coming. Lauren, stop. There's a new world coming. Everything gonna be turning over. Everything gonna be turning over. Where you gonna be standing when it comes? There's a new world coming. It's gonna be This is how it's gonna be
have credits. We have very standard credits. Thanks for listening to our show. We are on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. You can also make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. Um, it is really true that another thing that's really helpful that you can do to help us sustain the show is to write a review on Apple Podcasts if you're an iPhone person. Thank you for doing that. And How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the incomparable and beloved Zach Rosen. Music for today's show comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. Boyakasha. Boyakasha. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's stop recording. <laughs> All right. I love you.